That's what it's all about right there. Um, quick story on, on Rivers. She had, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, I think, Chris, that uh, she just came up and, uh, you know, just said she'd love to sing. And, um, you know, Chris and I, that moment we were talking, like, man, isn't that just awesome? That's what we want our church to be about, like, uh, y'all feeling led, uh, young and old. I mean, it talks about an acts that your young men and women will will sing and proclaim visions and uh, that they felt led and have the courage and the heart and the desire to share the gospel through song. So thank you, Rivers. You blessed all of us today. Let's hear it one more time. Come on. Uh, so stay in uh, Mark 8. Uh, I'm also going to refer to uh, 1 Peter 1 and Mark 10 today. But uh, the main deal is in Mark 8. Uh, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. We're seeing who is Jesus through this Lenten season. And I'd start off today just kind of ask a rhetorical question of um, why do people go to church? You know, like why, why do you think people go to church? Uh, I think there, there are many, many reasons. But a big one that I've heard over and over again, uh, not just here, not just in Jackson, Mississippi, but looking at surveys, people go to church because they want to be with other people. Uh, they want to meet other people. Uh, singles, you know, no offense, they go to church because they want to meet other singles. Uh, our families go to church because they want their kids to meet other kids, young and old. It's, it's a big part of being part of a body, being part of a community. You go to church to build relationships. Now, some, you know, we hope all, but some would go to church to say, hey, I want to I meet Jesus. That's the primary relationship. It is, but, you know, sometimes there are other relationships in the world, honestly, that matter to more people than meeting Jesus. But sometimes people go, like, I want to meet Jesus. And thank God the Holy Spirit works through the church, and people the world over meet Jesus in many different churches. Praise God. And they come to what we call salvation, and they get what we say, we, they get saved. And, and we praise God for that. Now... The thing is, though, what happens to them afterwards? What, what happens to their lives? What happens to their, what we call a churchy word, walk with Christ? Two quick stories. Uh, the Billy Graham Association, they did a study on themselves, okay? And so this is not like people who are against Billy Graham, and there, there are tons of those out there. But the Billy Graham Association said, we're going to look at how effective we are in growing people in Christ. Okay, so Billy Graham, one of my heroes, love him, one of the greatest prophets of the 20th century, probably tens, hundreds of thousands came to Christ through that man. Uh, Raise your hand, walk down the aisle, receive Jesus. The Billy Graham Association did a study saying like, okay, how effective are we at plugging people who get saved into other churches, because they, look, they took the info, took the name, they have church contacts, how effective are we in doing that? And they said 10%, 10% who made a confession of faith at a Billy Graham revival, over the years, over the decades, 10% got connected into a local church. So, so 90% of folks who either raised their hand, came down to the altar, professed salvation, got saved. They're like, we don't, we don't know where 90% went. 
We don't, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know if they got involved in a local church. We don't know if they grew in Christ. We, we take them at their word that they were saved, and 10% we know we got them in a, a, a church. That's, that's pretty astonishing. And they were like, I mean, we're, we're critical of ourselves. We, we did not do a good job at what you would call discipleship, at what would you call being connected part of a church. Another church just recently, not in this area, but they confess, they're like, we have been so much about salvation, and look, we're all about salvation, that we have totally missed the boat on discipleship. And we've been so much about like bragging about our numbers and hands being raised and how many people were saved that we did things that were just, honestly, they said we did things that were so crazy and so prideful that we're ashamed of now. What they did was like, they would have the altar call and people would raise their hand or they would say, you know, if you want to accept Jesus, you know, raise, do all that. And they would have a cameraman look out into the congregation and they would take a picture and they would put the picture, blast it out on their, on their website or on their flyers and say, look at all these hands raised. And they would count the hands and then either on the bullet or on the website say, so many people were saved and received Jesus and they didn't know any of those folks, they said. And they didn't connect any of those folks into whether you call it a Sunday school class or a small group or a mission. or It was just like, hey, look how great we are. Look at the hands raised. And, and yes, look, many of those were saved. Many of those received salvation. But what happens then? Is that it? Well, you'd say, well, yeah, they, they, got, they got heaven. True. But if you disciple someone, can't they disciple and save others? And it goes on exponentially. My point being is we're all about salvation, but that's part of the gig. We have to be very intentional about growing people in Christ. That's a churchy word, Sunday school word, about helping them walk in their growth, in what we call sanctification, theological word, growing in Christ, discipleship. And thank God that Jesus is about discipleship. We ask who is Jesus? He is about discipleship. Now, for us here, there are things that we can do, like bellwether. Um, one of the things that we do is we emphasize and we say, hey, look at Ray's. Some of you all have heard about Ray's. Some haven't. We actually haven't pushed it as much as we have in the past. But Ray's is five things that you could do to help you grow in Christ. And incorporated in Ray's is quiet time, is leading your family, is joining a church, being part of a local church, whether it's here or another church, being part of a smaller group, and going in mission. Not necessarily across the world, but as you go. And we say, these things, if you do these, we say, we, we believe, and we will promise you that you will grow in Christ. If you, if you do them, it's something you can do. Because we're all doers, and we like to do. But we're not going to talk about that today. Today we're going to talk about Growth in Christ that, that happens in things that you don't do. Like there, there's sometimes that, that the growth happens and we don't do anything. We actually have to receive some stuff from God and the Holy Spirit. And often these things are very challenging. Often these things are hard. Often these things are, are things we got to like work through and like process on our own. And we can't, like, do the Bible study. We can't, like, go to small group. We can't, like, go on a mission. These are things that happen to grow us and stretch us internally by the Holy Spirit that we've got to receive. And 
That's what I want to talk about today. So it, it is kind of a how-to, like how to grow in Christ, how to be a disciple, but it's not what you do, it's what you receive. It's really what you work through. And there are three, honestly, I mean, for me, there, there are three hard things, tough stuff. But it's all good. It's all good. And it's all in the passage that Boyle read. And really, you can see these three aspects of growing in Christ, what we call discipleship in this passage. And the first would be in verse 22 through 26, which is a very, this is a very weird passage. Um, I don't know if y'all caught that. This is very weird. Um, I don't think it's preached on a lot because what happens? Well, Jesus spits on somebody first. Okay, so... I mean, I don't know what your translation says, but some say he spit saliva on his eyes. He put saliva on his eyes and rubbed his hands on his eyes. And then the miracle didn't take. You're like, well, maybe was it his saliva? Was it his spit? The miracle literally like didn't take. He didn't get healed immediately. I mean, is that not kind of odd? Jesus, he, he does miracles. We preach on that. He heals. And here, it, it doesn't take immediately. So well, I kind of see they look like trees. It's not, fully, it's not fully done. And then it does happen. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. Which he honestly does often over and over again in the Bible. He said, don't, don't go tell that you've been healed. Don't go tell that this miracle has happened. It's weird. It's, it's a weird couple of verses. What, what does that say to us? I think you can say a lot. I think the main thing it says is, talk about discipleship, you talk about growing in Christ, it entails a word many of us despise, that is patience. Patience. Y'all like that word? Patience. These verses are all about patience. Why do you say that? Well, first off, for whatever reason, and I think one of the reasons is to speak into this person's life and our lives, the miracle didn't happen like instantaneously. It took a little time. He had to work through something. And what I would say to y'all, what I'd say to us is, some of y'all have been healed. Some of y'all are in need of healing. Some of y'all are in the process of being healed. And healing, your healing may not be instantaneous. Whether that's a person, whether that's a physical ailment, whether that's a relationship, whether that's your past, whether it's fear of your future, a lot of y'all are being healed, but it's not instantaneous. Actually, patience also applies to just general discipleship. I like to say it like this. Salvation, getting saved, is instantaneous. Happens in a moment. Can happen today. Can happen right now. Can happen this second. Discipleship is not. Or what we call it, sanctification is not instantaneous. It takes time. It takes a process. We see it over and over again in Scripture. The disciples who became, you know, in some... In some places, like saints, Peter, Paul, was not instantaneous that they like went from being a fisherman who was boisterous and probably a drunkard and has had been divorced to becoming Peter, the rock. Peter, who is about to see rebuked, takes patience. And so for some of y'all, and I know some of y'all like desire to be healed, and some of y'all are praying for healing, and I believe God is healing many of you. But it's not immediate. It takes some time. It takes some patience. It takes us working through some stuff. Another thing is, he says, don't go and tell. 
And how often have y'all, and look, I, I'm right here with you, okay? But how often have y'all, it's like, God did a work in me. I, I'm going to go and, and share it with my small group, with my wife, with my husband, with my friend. I want to share it. It's like God does something in you, or you see God do something in somebody else, or, or God just works through you, and it's like so powerful. And you just want to share it and share it. And, you know, we don't want to say brag on it, but, like, we want to share it. We want to speak about it. But sometimes we don't need to. What do you mean? We've got to be a witness. Yes, you've got to be a witness. Yes, you've got to share. But sometimes God is doing a work in you for you. Let me say it again. Sometimes God does a work in you for you. Like, like it's not for everybody else just yet. Like it's for you. Like God, God bless you or God heals you or God speaks to you or God ministers to you or God does a miracle in you. And he's doing it for you. That's our God. And sometimes we just need to, like, receive it, man. Sometimes we just need to, like, sit on it and just, man, I don't know, ponder it and, like, say hallelujah in our prayers. Glorify God. Just thank God. You know, just let it, let God minister to us, you know, before we go telling it on the mountain. And I'm all about witnessing. I'm all about as you go. But I think sometimes we need the patience that God is working in you, in us. And we just need to receive it, man. And, and let him grow us. I always say it like this. We share truth. Truth in scripture. Truth of who Jesus is. Truth of the gospel. Just do this. Make sure the truth that you're sharing is the truth you're experiencing. Say that again. Make sure the truth that you're sharing in your B group, in your one-on-one relationships, in your, are you experiencing it? Because, look, I've seen over and over again some brothers and sisters that share and were gifted to share. But they weren't experiencing Jack. Seriously. And you start looking into their lives. And, look, you, look, you can get into the whole, you know, pastors falling, that deal. And, you know, pick your poison on that over the years. Make sure the truth you are sharing is the truth you're experiencing. Because if you're not experiencing it, it's not legit that you're sharing. And then, you know, last, and, you know, tying into this, I mean, I think we believe in leaders here. Our vision is raising leaders. We believe anyone can be a leader for Christ. Growing in leadership, growing in sanctification, growing in discipleship, it takes time. It takes time. Often, what many churches want to do, we've done this here, seen other churches, other people, it's like someone's saved, let's say Emmaus, or let's say here, let's say another church, someone's, or in a small group, someone's saved, and they've got competency, and they've got, it was that leader, Leader, a new disciple, put him or her over everything. And honestly, that can be, well, one, it can be harmful to the person. And two, it's not biblical and it's just not right. There, there needs to be some time for seasoning. There needs to be some time for growth. There needs to be some time for what we call sanctification and growing as a disciple. That leader needs to be trained. He's have a mentor, whether it's a pastor or another teacher speaker in their life. Discipleship entails patience. Are you willing to have patience? Are you? Are you willing to work through patience? Are you really willing to receive rather than share? Are we willing to wait? Just questions. Second thing, it kind of gets worse, but it gets better. Suffering. Man, if we like patience... We're going to love to suffer, right? Suffering. 
discipleship is about suffering. You're like, no, it's not. It's about like all good. It is, it's all about good stuff. But suffering comes into play. We see it here. How do we see it here? Well, Jesus says, I'm Jesus. I'm Lord. I'm Messiah. Okay? So we get that. And then he does something that nobody expects at all. Because they, the disciples hear Messiah. They hear, you know, Lord. And then he says, and I'm going to suffer. Actually, he says, the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, be rejected, be killed, and then rise again. Now, if, if we're them right there, sitting around wherever they were, the campfire, I don't know, I, I probably wouldn't hear the rise again just yet. And when I heard it, I was like, that would like go over my head, you know, under my leg, whatever. Like, I wouldn't even pick that up. I would hear suffering, rejected, killed, Messiah. And Peter, Peter, who we love, takes Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. But turning and looking at his disciples, verse 33 says, he says he rebuked Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. When Jesus calls you Satan, not a good day. Not, not a good day, okay? And it's Peter. Actually, the literal Greek when he says um, that Peter rebuked Jesus, um, the translation re- literally means that he's saying, God forbid it. Like, God, you got it all wrong. Like, God, uh, that, that can't be the way it's going down. How often do we say that? How often do something happens in our life? Maybe God gives us a revelation. Maybe, maybe in our prayer life, if we pray, or maybe someone speaks in our life, and, or maybe a door opens that we're like, God, it can't, it can't happen like that. can't go down like that. Or we say, God forbid it. How often do we say that? I've said it. What, what if we see suffering in our lives? God forbid it. That, that can't happen. You know, the problem often, honestly, with, with American Christianity, and this is not just me saying this, this is preachers and pastors all over, that pastor like large churches, is that so many people... They just want to hear health and wealth, or wealth and health, whichever order you put it. So many people, the gospel they want to hear is, hey, just believe, believe as hard as you can, and avoid suffering as much as you can. That's it. And, and if you're like, don't give them that, well, I'll just, I'm going to go somewhere where I hear that. Just believe, believe. I mean, faith is big. You're saved by faith. Save by grace through faith. And, and help me avoid suffering. Whether it's single, whether marrying is hitting the, the skids, or, you know, whatever is going down, avoid suffering. And, man, the gospel never says that. It actually says the opposite, that, that Jesus says you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have suffering. And I so believe, um, having suffered and probably will suffer much more, God willing, over the course of God willing, a long life, but suffering produces discipleship. Suffering produces great fruit. And we're going to suffer in two ways if we're followers of Christ, okay? Two ways. Just mark my word, these two ways. One is we're followers of Christ, and then life throws us stuff. We're 40, and we get cancer, and it's not good. And we're going to shake our fists at God. It's like, God, what are you doing? Or we have a parent who's 50 and gets cancer and, and dies. Or we're struggling having kids. Or our kids have a disability. 
Or we struggle with miscarriages. Or we struggle with constant physical pain. Or we could never imagine that we would have a divorce and we're divorced. And we don't see our kids. Dude, I mean, just in our church here, I mean, the gamut is wide. And we, we want to shake our fists with God. And you say, why? This is not what I signed up for. I signed up to be your follower. I signed up to, to share the good news, to, to be on mission. And you give me this. Some of you have said that. Some of us have said that. So what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with the suffering that happens? And, and we're going to suffer. And secondly, the second type of suffering we'll have is when we stand firm for Christ. I mean, in this day and age, and in the, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, even, you know, we can, we can throw it down and we can play a good game. But if you really stand firm for Christ, I mean, if you really do it, it will cost you. Uh, relationships will change. Some relationships may be lost. Um, you know, I mean, if, you're, if you say some things that, I mean, the way the culture is going now and political correctness, you stand firm, you're going to, you may lose business deals. Heck, you can lose it at the very top. Chick-fil-A, classic example. You're going to suffer somehow. Standing firm for Christ and then what life throws at you. So what do we do? What do we do? Peter, it is interesting to think about Peter because he rebukes Jesus. He does not want to suffer. He begins to have a different take on suffering as he, as he grows in Christ. First Peter, I said we were going to look at that. First Peter 1, 6 through 7. 1, 6 through 7. And this is Peter writing to churches in and around Rome of Christians that are being like, not just persecuted, not just like put down, not just, um, you know, these are bad people, but killed in horrific, vicious ways. I really don't want to go into the details, but bad stuff, bad stuff. And these churches are going through severe suffering. And what does Peter say? First Peter 1 6 and 7, says, In this you rejoice, in your suffering rejoice. Even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable, when tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter is literally saying, the suffering you're experiencing can result... In praise and glory and joy to Jesus. You're like, how does that happen? There's a Greek word here that, uh, well, the translation tested by fire. Tested by fire. And the Greek word is actually puriosis. I don't know if I pronounced that right. But it's where we get the word purified. Purified. That when you stick silver and gold into the fire, it purifies it. It the and I'm no scientist or physicist, but the elements, the, the particles, they're purified so that you take the silver and gold out and you literally see a reflection in it after it's been in the fire. You see the reflection. And so for Peter, it's like it can be praise, it can be glory, it can be joy. Your fire, your testing, your suffering can result in seeing the reflection of Jesus in your life. Or it can't. I mean, it's, it's up to us. I mean, the suffering's going to go down. The fire's going to happen. We're going to feel the heat. The question is, in your heat, who do people see? What do people see? 
They can see Jesus. We want them to see Jesus. We hope that they would see Jesus. That's why we have a church. That's why we can encourage and edify and exhort and support one another. And to encourage it, hey man, look to Jesus and you will reflect Jesus. So there's suffering. There's patience. There's suffering. And there's one more. And you know, this is kind of, this is the toughest of them all, really, when you get down to it. Same passage in Mark 8, back here. Denial. Denial. To deny oneself. Verse 34 through the last verse, 38. You know, Jesus said, look, I'm going to suffer, rebukes Peter, calls him Satan. Bad day for Peter. Gets better. Verse 34, but then he says, I'm asking you to deny yourself. I'm asking you to take up your own cross and follow me. And then he says these, these words, and they, man, I, I love them. And I think we need, to, we need to read and tell ourselves these words over and over again. Those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake, Jesus says. Now, Eliphaz says, for my sake and the gospel, and the good news of the gospel, will find it. So there, there's good news, but he says you, you've gotta, you're going to undergo suffering. It takes patience, and you've got to deny yourself to, to grow as a disciple. And so to deny ourselves, I mean, I think asking ourselves a few questions, you know, is, is very, very important. Say, well, okay, how do I, how do I like, deny myself? How, how, does that, how does that happen? Think about, I mean, what is your functional Savior? I mean, what really is your functional Savior? Um, what is... What is saving you? I mean, it can be job, it can be family, it can be a hobby. What is that? I'll be honest. I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get honest with y'all here. Y'all know I hate to do that, but just to kind of like just be authentic. Like what what my functional saviors are. First off, um, sports, sports. Like I literally, I mean, I have to keep sports and some sports teams at bay. I mean, it will consume my life. They will. There are a couple that that particularly do. I won't have to name those. One of them got beat last night. Big shocker, but we don't want to go into that. I would love to be a, um, I'd love to be like a sports talk show host. I mean, I, I just I'd love that. And a lot of times I, I vent in sports, and a lot of times I have my release in sports. It's just it's a deal. Nothing for me. Books. Like, that's nerdy. I'm kind of a nerd, okay? Books. Like, just, just reading and reading the, the best books and, like, being in the cultural know. I'm just being honest here. Movies, same thing. You know, I've told you, have I seen like the best movies? Am I, you know, in the know about what people say about books and movies and all this? I mean, it's like a functional savior. Just trying to throw some examples out. What is your functional savior? What motivates you? I mean, like, what really motivates you? What are your daydreams? I'm thinking about this. What do you daydream about? What do, you, what do you wish your life was like? Talking about movies, there's one example that uh, some of y'all have seen. It's like the biggest YouTube hit. I didn't find it. My wife showed it to me. So you blame her. But it's, it's really funny. But I was like, man, it typifies what motivates so many of us, what motivates the world. And usually, I mean, you fall into money, beauty, sex, fame, status, okay? And the YouTube video, it happened after the Oscars. Uh, this past Sunday night, it was at an Oscar party, and the Oscar winner, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, 
who is funny as all get out. So she's getting interviewed. Some of y'all may have seen this. And Jack Nicholson walks up behind her. And, you know, Jack Nicholson, those of y'all who, I like Jack Nicholson, but he's like, you know, he says hey. And he's got his, you know, crooked grin on there. And, um, you know, freaks Jennifer Lawrence out. And he says, you know, you, you remind me of an old girlfriend. And uh, she's like, well, do I remind you of a new girlfriend? And he was like, well, I kind of thought about that. And, you know, and she's like, oh, my goodness, you know, and she's freaking out. And then she says, oh, there's Jennifer Garner over there. And she waves at her. And she's like, this is my life now. You know, hey, Jack, hey, Jennifer, and all this. And, you know, I saw that. I'm thinking about it. And it's funny and all, but what it typifies is, you know, look, all of us dudes, you may not say, I don't want to be like Jack Nicholson, but the dude who, you know, is in the know and gets the girl and has the fame and has the fortune. I mean, if you say, man, I I want none of that. I don't think you're being fully honest with yourself. And the girl, and Jennifer Lawrence, is so striking and very pretty, and she just signed like a modeling contract and gifted in acting, and she's funny and vivacious and all this. And if you're the girl, you're like, I, I don't want any of that. I don't care about that. And then I think you're kind of lying to yourself. Because I see it over and over again in the culture we live in. Dudes wanting to be, look, you know, call it who you want to, but semi-Jack Nicholson guy. Girls wanting to be semi-Jennifer Lawrence guy, girl. It happens. And that's the world we live in. And that's the world that the world lifts it up. So is that your Savior? I mean, you're like, no, no, my Savior's Jesus. My Savior's church. My Savior's the gospel. Okay, really? Really? Are we seeing that? I'm just saying. What are your daydreams? Who do you want to be like? Who are you looking for? Who are you trying to be? Look, hey, my daydreams. I, get even more honest. I daydream. I daydream about one day having a house on a lake in Italy. No lie. You're like, that is crazy. Hey, my wife's grandparents were Italian. She could get an Italian passport. I've been working it through my mind. Seriously, okay? Not that that's going to happen. But you can fantasize about it. On a lake in Italy, I have those thoughts. I have those daydreams, okay? Um, let's get more down to earth. I daydream about a successful church. Yo, hey, some of you, you got a successful church. You got money, you got building, you got people. Okay, yeah, but I dream up more of a successful church and more of a successful church. Seriously. Look, look, y'all have jobs, y'all have careers and everything. You daydream about, hey, I want to get here. And if I'm here, I want to get there. Or maybe it's the second home or third home or toy or whatever. You daydream about it. I daydream about writing books. I want to write books on a lake in Italy. <laughs> Seriously. I have those daydreams. Those are functional saviors for me. Not like confessional booth, but trying to get you to get real about what it is in your mind that is holding you back from discipleship and a walk with Christ. Because it holds me back. And I actually work at it. Does it hold y'all back? It does. It is. It will. So what do we do? What do we do? Jesus says... Deny yourself. Deny yourself of those things. Those things will not lead you to glory or or true joy or true fulfillment. It it won't. And you're like, man, you know, you sure about that? Yeah, because I know people who've got them and they're not content. Even not a lake house, but places all over the world. And they are searching and they are desperate and they are not fulfilled in their life. 
And they want to avoid suffering at all costs. And they are empty. And I don't want that to be y'all. And I see many of y'all in it. And I see many of y'all running to it. And so the words of Jesus speak to us again and again. Those who would lose their life for me, Jesus says, and the gospel. I love he adds that. It's not just Jesus. And the gospel. And giving your life for as you go in your work, as we talk about it, or literally go somewhere. Give your life for that, and you will find it. You will find it. I'd like us to pray, or I'd ask you to pray. Holy Spirit, convict me of what's holding me back. Holy Spirit, convict me of my functional saviors. Holy Spirit, convict me of things that I need to deny. And I believe he will. And I believe he'll do a very good job of it. And when you're feeling that, and when you sense that, there's something else that's going to happen to you, and it's very real. The Holy Spirit will convict, and Satan will condemn. Mark my word. Satan will condemn. Satan will either say, you're no good, man. You can't grow like that. You can't do that. Remember that sin? Remember that person you slept with? Remember that person you cheated out of? Whatever it was? Remember the mom that you had that was just despicable? Remember the dad that hit you? Remember, you are nothing. That's not God. That's not God. That's Satan. The Holy Spirit will convict you. The Holy Spirit will say, this is what you can deny, and I can help you and move you to Jesus. And follow the Holy Spirit. And don't listen to that other voice. The other voice will be there. That's why we have a church. That's why we can't do this alone. That's why you can't do it alone. Last verse. I told you it ends up being good. You're like, I haven't seen it yet. Here it comes. Mark 10. Mark 10, 28. Yes, patience is tough. Yes, suffering is, yes, denying. Denying things that we think would be great. Denying our daydreams. Denying our functional saviors. Same Peter, Mark 10, 28. Peter began to say to him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. You ever said that to Jesus? Shaggy, Jesus, we have left everything. I've given up the functional Savior. I've denied. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields. Fields would be money. For my sake and for the sake of the good news, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I love how Jesus says, often we can say, give up your life and you're going to get it in heaven. Jesus says, there are not those who have given everything away, And they will receive so much more in this age, in this life, today, in this church, in your family, now, in the present, not just just in heaven. Do you believe that? He's like, give all that up. And what am I getting? Jesus said, you're going to get it. You're going to receive it. It is blessing, it is praise, it is joy, it is brothers, it is sisters, it is a church family, it is healing. But Jesus, it is me. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, you get me. You get ruler of the universe, creator, sustainer of life, and loving you individually, personally, so much that 
Jesus died for us. You get him, and he is enough. And it's all better when it's about Jesus. I want all of us to get him and realize that it's so much better than any daydream or any motivation or any functional savior. And there are going to be things that entail patience, and there's going to be suffering, and there are some things we have to deny. But the result of it, Jesus, discipleship, growing in him, is there's so much joy, so much fulfillment, and it's today and forever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your promise. Uh, Your promise is not always easy, but your promise is always true. And that promise is joy in Christ, love in Christ, fulfillment in Christ, peace in Christ, purpose in Christ, everything in Christ. It begins and ends with you, Jesus. Dear Lord, help us put our functional saviors on the altar. That may be a person, that may be a job, that may be a thing, that may be a lifestyle, that may be clothes, that may be a mirror. I pray you help us put on the altar. I pray we have peace when we go through the greatest suffering, that it purifies us and we reflect you. And give us patience. Give us patience. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And let us not use, well, I'm just not patient as an excuse. You change us. We ask you to do so by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.